Uh, if you have been a part of help filling up the container with food for Restore Ukraine, uh, you have two weeks to get the rest of your stuff in if you took a box and you haven't filled that up yet. Uh, the guy who is doing those containers has one that's half filled with medical supplies, and he thought that in the three places he has put them, they'd all get filled. But really, if we take ours and the other place and the other place, uh, it's going to fill up about one container. So he's going to take them all, fill up a container, and then send that over. So you need to have your stuff in by October 23rd. That's two weeks. If you took a box, bring that in filled with stuff. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, we are uh, helping this thing called Restore Ukraine, and we are sending some uh, food and hard goods over to the people of Ukraine. You can grab a box next to Sarah at the Welcome Center and a list of what kind of to put in it things that are non-perishable so we can send over and help these people. Many times when there is a disaster in the world, people get really excited at the outset, but then it kind of peters out. And so we wanted to do and be involved with this because when everything started to peter out, this is something that went on for a few months and more goods and stuff are still going over. So we want to make sure we're continuing to do that. Um, the, the, I had a couple other things, but I'm just going to take a sideways thing in this. Uh, the, the person that Sarah is talking about that, that died yesterday, uh, if you've ever been to one of our events and you saw Tim Nolan, the balloon man, the guy that makes balloon stuff, that's who died yesterday. So it's yeah, it's really kind of sad. He's a great guy, uh, you know, taking care of his taking care of his wife. And there's a lot of stuff that's going to need to take place there. We may ask you about more things coming up, but keep Bonnie—that's his wife's name—keep Bonnie in your prayers. And secondly, uh, our church plant in in Thailand. Uh, the massacre that happened this week, it was in the suburb of a place called Udon Thani, but that's where we would fly in the planes to. It's a suburb of that. Now, the church plant is a couple hours away from that, but still some of that is trickling down to them, and they are having to make sure they take care of people who are kind of freaked out. Um, in, in that culture, it is 99% Buddhism. And, and I'm not talking American Buddhism. Uh, real Buddhism teaches that all life is pain. And so when things like this happen, people flock to the Buddhist temples, but they give them nothing. There is no hope. And so what we want to do is can, uh, pray for and come alongside our church plant that is there so they could actually show that, that there is hope. There is hope that life is still in front of you, that these things happen, and yet God can still be seen as good and bring beautiful things out of the backside of something like this. And so I would encourage you guys to be able to pray for a church plant. Uh, Tom and Jean are our church planters who are there. You keep them in your prayers as well. That would be amazing. Amazing. Um, I know, not normally how we start a service, huh? So there you go. Uh, if you're new to Element, welcome. There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. We do not have sermon uh, notes on the communion tables throughout the room. What we have are these prayer guides. And for 13 weeks, this is going to have the sermon notes, uh, short little daily devotions, questions you can ask your friends and family and gospel community about. It's a way for 13 weeks for us to come together around the idea of prayer and what prayer is and what prayer isn't how God calls us to pray. So you can grab one of those. But if you do, there's not a place to write down sermon notes in those. So we also have these prayer journals. And if you've never journaled before, we encourage you to just give it a shot. See, see if it works for you, if you like doing it. If not, you know, maybe it's, it's not your thing. That's okay. But if you want to take notes, you can write them in one of these. And hopefully, maybe throughout the week, you can also journal as well. That'd be great. If you have a smart device, you can download an app 
and just called Uversion, and you'll click on More and then Events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in that smart device, and you will get the verses we are going through. Uh, you'll get some of the sermon notes. You'll get an attachment to the announcements we talk about, but you won't get all the stuff that's actually in that prayer guide. So make sure you grab one. They're free. We just want everybody to have one as we walk through this journey together. Um, I think that's all I got in that, right? Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? And this is Isaiah 59, verse 1. And it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. Let's pray. Father, today we do ask that you would keep your hand upon Bonnie, that you would bring her uh, comfort in the midst of all that she's going through. I, I cannot even imagine uh, the... You know, what she is thinking tomorrow may hold. And we also ask that you would give great wisdom to Tom and Jing as they are in Thailand dealing with a lot of the fallout of just heinous, heinous actions. And so we ask that you would teach us to be a people who glorify you with our words and how we speak to one another and how we present who you are to the world. And that our prayers would be those that go up to you and you find pleasing and that our lives would be those that are connected with you because you have first revealed yourself to us. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so uh, we are doing a series on prayer. It's going to take us right up through the new year. Uh, I was talking to someone last year going through the book of Job when there are all of these tough times in our lives that we, we pray, we, we seek God. And this person came up and, and they said, are you ever going to do a series on prayer? Kelly Borjas, if you know her, yeah. Um, so... so. And I said, sure. So we are a year and a half later, and we are finally doing that. And so we're looking at a lot of things through this series. What, what is prayer in week one? What prayer is not? Uh, and we want to help you to learn how to talk to God, to communicate with Him. In the last couple weeks, we've given you a definition of prayer that really centers on communication with God. Just like you can have a conversation with your friend, God wants us to have a relationship with Him. And many times what we do is we forget what people said or how they said it, and we interpret interpreted a certain way, and I think this is why God has first revealed himself to us in his written word. This is why we have the scriptures. This is grace given to us. And so we have come up with a definition of prayer that's taken out of a book by Tim Keller called Prayer, and it is, prayer is a continuing conversation that God has started through his word and provided by his grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with him. God is the one who starts it. He reaches out to us. We would never figure out God if God had not revealed himself first to us. Us. So we need to know who he is to have that conversation. And really think about this. We really never know the, another person deep down in the core of who they are, but God knows us. Deep down in all the places where we are just so gross and all these things that we think and the things that we do, and God loves us and wants to have a relationship with us anyway. Do you know that uh, studies show that people are married seven years before they begin to really know the other person they're married to? And guess when people start having problems in their marriages? Seven years, right about there. And some people are like, this is too hard, and they, and they just start all over. And seven years in, same thing. Work, work through that thing. And guys, I know, if you are single in this room, a lot of times churches, they talk about being married. And there's a lot of examples of that. I just want you to know that singleness can be a huge gift, and the church needs to do a better job of actually saying that to you. 
But anyway, in the Bible, uh, God clearly shows who he is to us. Sometimes we just don't like it. And so I tried to show you last week ways that we don't pray, ways of who God is, and so we don't pray to him in these certain ways that just are not the best. And so moving out from there, I want to talk to you today what is probably one of the hardest things for people to deal with, and that is unanswered prayers. And I think one of the reasons that most people don't really want to pray is they don't think it changes anything. Uh, Dallas Willard writes this, The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with dead ritual at best. Now, I think that's a misunderstanding of what prayer is because we are hopefully showing you that prayer is not just trying to get things from God. Prayer is growing in relationship with Him as we understand Him. But we are finite creatures and we do pray and we do ask for things. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about unceasing prayer. We're going to talk about simple prayer. We're going to talk about prayers of people in the Bible. But I think before we get to those, we've got to kind of start here. Because if you were to ask me, what is the single biggest motivator for people to pray? Without a doubt, I would say it is answered prayer. Like when you pray for something, dear God, please let the Backstreet Boys break up. And it happens. And it happens. And you're like, God is real. He is on his throne. This is amazing. Uh, maybe, maybe you have a, a friend or a relative that's far from God. It's been like 20 years and you start praying for them and God brings them back. That is amazing. Maybe you struggle with anxiety and you pray and God brings you great peace just out of nowhere. And you have this answered prayer and God moves heaven and earth. Those are the greatest times. And I think that leads to people to want to pray more. But I think if you talk about the biggest demotivator to prayer, it's going to be the exact opposite. It is unanswered prayer. And even going through this series, there are people who are like, I don't really know if I should pray. I don't really understand prayer. I don't know if I'm doing it the right way. I don't think God really communicates with me. Guys, we have all, in times and places, have experiences that have borne out unanswered prayer. Maybe you are the demotivated person that I'm kind of talking about here. Like, maybe it's from singleness a moment ago, and you've been really praying that God would bring somebody into your life, and God just hasn't. You're thinking, well, God doesn't hear, or God doesn't care. Maybe you struggle with an addiction, and you are like, God, please take it away, and it just doesn't happen. Uh, maybe you actually got married. You found somebody, and then you're like, oh, can't believe I got married. I married that crazy person. And now you're like, oh, why didn't God stop me? Why didn't God say something? Usually he does. We're just not listening. You know, or, or someone you know got cheated at work or wronged by a co-worker or a co-owner and you ask God for justice and justice does not prevail. I think the sad thing is in a lot of churches today, people try and act like we have it all together. There's no problems in our lives. And oh yeah, I prayed and God comes through. I really trust Him and everything. Guys, I will tell you, every single person in this room, if they have prayed at some point in our lives, we have experienced unanswered prayer. And so before we move into the rest of the prayer series, we talked about what prayer is, what prayer isn't. I want to hit this because there is a deep ache and a deep agony that surrounds unanswered prayer. 
I'm not going to spend any time on all the ways that God answers our prayers because, you know what, that's great when, when it happens. I'm going to talk about the silent times, the times when you just feel like God is not there. And I'm going to walk through four different things with you in this. Uh, maybe we can learn to look at our circumstances and God's grace in a new and deeper way because of this. Because the biblical writers, they are not naive about prayer and how God works. And there are lots of things they ask for that God never brought about. So I'll give you four things. The first one is this, that God will say no when we pray and our request is off. God will say no. Now, that does not mean God is trying to make you get it right. Oh, you didn't say your prayer the exact right way, so I'm not going to say yes. The Bible is full of stories of people who ask something from God and they do not get it. The Bible might have as many stories about unanswered prayer as it does about answered prayer. If you have a Bible, open to Matthew chapter 17. It's on page 533 if you have an element Bible. And here what happens is Jesus goes up onto this mountain with his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. And he gets transformed in glory. His glory starts to show through. We call this the transfiguration. God, the Father, shows up and speaks. You have two of the biggest hitters in the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah. They show up. And Peter, he doesn't know what to do. Matthew 17, verse 4, and it says, And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents. And that word translates as tabernacle. It's like a moving house. I'll make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. One of the first things you see is that Peter here does not understand who Jesus is yet because he thinks he's on par with just like Moses and Elijah. He's a great prophet. He doesn't know that Jesus is actually God in the flesh. And so Peter here, he doesn't know what to say. Uh, the text will tell you that he was even fearful in this moment. You know when you don't know what to say, you know what option is always available to you? Yeah, you don't have to say anything at all. That never occurred to Peter. You read throughout the scriptures, you'll see that. Anyway, Peter makes this request. It's a bad idea, and Jesus says no. Now flip your Bible over to Matthew chapter 20. It's just a page to the right or so. James and John, uh, these are a couple of Jesus' disciples. They, well, they don't go to Jesus. They have their mom go to Jesus and ask if those two kids of hers, James and John, can sit on Jesus' left and right hand in his coming kingdom. They view the coming kingdom not as how Jesus is describing it, but a physical kingdom where Jesus would kick all the other nations out of Israel. Israel would become a world power. Jesus would reign on the earth, and they want to sit next to Jesus. So when people come to ask for things, it's like, yes, we sitting next to Jesus. Look how important we are. They don't understand that living in the kingdom of Christ centers on service and humbleness. So they have their mom go and kneel before Jesus, Matthew 20, verse 21, and she says, say that these sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus' response is, no, no. The kingdom of God does not work by getting your mommy to come and do self-promotion for you. And James and John make a lot of bad requests. Uh, open up to Luke chapter 9, a couple, chapter, or a couple yeah, uh, chapters to the right. Luke chapter 9. In another time, the disciples and Jesus, they're walking through a Samaritan village. Uh, the Samaritans don't welcome Jesus and his disciples, which is not uncommon. Samaritans and Jews had deep-seated animosity towards one another. They did not like each other. I've talked about why before in different messages. I don't have time to do that now, but there's a lot of stuff that's there. So as they go through, they weren't welcomed. James and John go to Jesus, Luke 9, verse 54, and they say, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Now, fire means judgment here, but this is, I mean, that is some guts, right? Right? It's like, 
Jesus says no, just in case you're wondering. He, he, he says no. All through the Bible, you see Jesus say no to bad requests. You see God say no to bad requests. God always reserves the right to say no, or it would be a disaster. Think of any type of power humanity ever gets into its hands, whether it's relational power, political power, financial power, nuclear power. We find ways to hurt one another with it. And imagine if prayer was just some supernatural thing that we could tap into and make God do whatever we wanted. It would be a disaster. There are people today who write books and tour college campuses who will say that the existence of unanswered prayer shows that God does not exist or that prayer is not a worthwhile endeavor. Guys, that is just not true. It is extreme grace that God says no. And this is why it's wrong to always look for a magic formula. Hey, here's this little book about a, about a prayer that some obscure guy prayed in the Old Testament. Pray this for, for 30 days, for 30 minutes a day, and God's going to give you whatever you want. That is voodoo. That is voodoo. It is not Christianity. Jesus is name, and it's not a magic phrase to get God to do your will. In four separate places in the Bible, four different times, four people, they go to God and they say, God, would you kill me? Take my life. And every time God says no. And I'm sure when their depression passed, they were glad that God actually said no. Guys, it is grace that God says no to us. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to you guys about Joey the cat. Again, some of you were very disappointed because I said, watch out for Joey the cat. He runs around here. He's a nice cat. He's like a dog. Be good to him. And you guys are like, oh, and someone actually sent me a thing that says, what are you going to do? Quote Garth Brooks next. And I said, challenge accepted. Okay. So apparently Garth Brooks has this song called Unanswered Prayer. What? Oh, uh, some of you. Okay. So, apparently, in this song, one time he is at a, foot, a, fo a football game at his old high school, and he sees this girl who he just thought was beautiful when he was younger, and he asks God, God, let her be my wife one day. And now he's a little bit older, and he sees her again all these years later, and he says, what was I thinking? You know, he's like, he's like, thank God that God said no. Here's the line of the song. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Guys, you should look at your high school reunion sometime with maybe some of those photos of all those people you thought were so cool and just be like, oh, thank God, right? And just think about this. You are probably someone's unanswered prayer. <laughs> I probably am too. I'm just saying. So we never want God to give into our dysfunction or our ego. Okay, so next thing, sometimes we start to pray and we're praying that God would do something in somebody else so we don't have to change at all. So secondly, God will say no to our requests in order to grow us, in order to grow us. I believe many times relational brokenness is one of the primary blockers to an, a real prayer life with God himself. Many times we will go to God, not in humbleness, but instead we think that we have it all together and everybody else has the issues. And if God would just fix those people, well, my life would be okay. Jesus talks about prayer and worship in this regard. Mark 11, verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And Jesus says things like this because it talks about the type of people that we are actually becoming. If we are clinging to unforgiveness, it reveals whether we have understood the grace of God or not, of how God has forgiven us. And this can lead to all kinds of wrong prayers. So sometimes God says no in order to grow us. God, change that person. And God's like, no, I want to change you to have enough guts to go talk to that person so you can both in the end grow. 
I mean, many times we pray that God will change somebody so we don't have to be involved in the restoration process. And God wants us involved in that process. The verse I started with today, Isaiah 59, verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or is ear dull that it cannot hear. Be like, oh, that's such a nice verse. That's out of context. That is completely out of context. Verse 2 says this, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have in his face from you so that he does not hear. Now, that's a deeper spin, right? And those are some sobering words. Sometimes like, God's not answering my prayers. Well, many times it's because we are just running from God and not listening to Him at all. Guys, it is not that the Lord's hand is short and that it cannot save or is ear dull that it cannot hear. We are just running the opposite direction that He's calling us to. This is what that verse is telling us. I mean, think about how this actually works in our life. You ever have somebody you're irritated at? If you're married... Don't call out their name. We know. We know who it is, right? Um, but it could be a coworker. It could be a neighbor. It could be a neighbor who won't keep their weeds down. Or maybe you're the neighbor who won't keep your weeds down. Your neighbor keeps talking to you about it. But just somebody who rubs you the wrong way. You may go and start to pray. And your mind starts to wander to how you want God to change that person. Just to see things the way that you do. And maybe in the middle of that prayer, right, you have all these anger fantasies. And all of a sudden, you're no longer communicating with God. You're focused on you. We are talking about ourselves. At times, this preoccupation with ourselves and our desires and our anger is that elephant in our prayer room. It's something we don't even acknowledge, and yet it looms so large over our relationship with Jesus. And we end up not being free to pray with open hands and open hearts and, and open lives. Many times we are focusing so much on other people. One writer says this, there's a big difference between nursing a grudge and surrendering to it. And so is there anything in your life that is taking up too much emotional and cognitive headspace? Anything you actually need to repent of that is taking over your prayer life with God? We must be able to be honest before God about all that is going on within us so we can really be wholly restored to who God calls us to be. And that's never going to happen when we're trying to hold on to some sin that we know displeases Him. And so God will say no many times to grow us. Now, there are other ways that, that God says no, like you can take the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul has what is called a thorn in the flesh. We do not even know what that is, but it was painful and Paul didn't like it and he prays, God, please take this away. And God says no. He says no. And he tells Paul that Paul be more humble and freed from all of his arrogance that could eat him from the inside out by living with that painful reminder of his smallness and God's bigness. And Jesus actually tells Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, My grace will be sufficient for you. I am leaving this in your life because there is a work I'm doing because of it. Now, I know this a little bit, not like Paul did, but you know there are some, sometimes I will get up here and we'll walk through some subject and you guys, after the service, you guys get it. And you're like, oh, that was amazing. That was great. And I'm like, wow, I must have done a great job today. And then God will immediately do something to humble me. I, I can give you stories, I don't have time. But immediately, and there's other times where I get up here and I'm teaching and I'm just like, man, no one's listening. Nothing's, and then someone is like, yeah, that was amazing. God did this and did it. I'm like, well, and it always shows that it's God who is at work. It is not me. 
We want God to do his work in all that we do. And so sometimes God says no because he leaves something in our lives that keeps us humble and grows us. How about this? Sometimes you might see a need somewhere around you, uh, maybe at Element itself. And maybe you've brought it up to someone at Element wondering why Element never takes care of this thing. Maybe you prayed about it. God, please wake up those people at Element so they would take care of this thing. Maybe God hasn't done something about it in all your prayers because he wants you to do something about it. Maybe God is saying, no, I want to grow you. And this can be, in your, again, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. Seriously, many times people will go and they will ask God about something in prayer. And God will end up asking you, I want you to do that. I will give you strength. I will walk with you. But I want to grow you. C.S. Lewis said, I don't pray to change God. I pray because it changes me. All right. Third thing is this. God will say no when the timing isn't right. He will say no when the timing isn't right. If you are experiencing some type of unanswered prayer, it may not even be that your request is wrong, just the timing's wrong. God stands sovereign over time and space, over everything. And He knows what we need, and He knows when certain things should come about. His timetable. The problem is we are finite creatures. We don't like to wait for everything. Everything has to be right now. That's why I'm an Amazon Prime member. But they have been seriously slacking lately. I don't know if you've noticed it. But uh, we often think that if God says wait, the answer must be no. But it could just be yes, but not right now. You need to trust me. You need to wait. There's a Stanford study done a few years ago that showed that people are becoming emotionally upset and they will begin to melt down for how long it takes an app to open or their phone to restart or a computer to boot up. I mean, can you imagine that? Because we, we have the ability in the palm of your hand with your phone that is something more powerful than what sent the rocket to the moon. In your hand. You can talk to anybody on the globe in seconds. You can find almost any information you want anywhere. And we melt down because it takes too long for that app to open or the phone to restart. You know, you fix your phone, turn it off, turn it back on again. Or the computer to boot up or something like that. Okay, you look at the scriptures. God promises Abraham and Sarah they will have a child. They, they were childless. So in Genesis, you see this couple, God shows up, I'm going to give you a child. They're 65 years old. I know you're thinking, I would stop praying at that point just in case God would do it at 65. <laughs> but anyway, and, and God says, you're going to have a child. And he makes them wait over three decades before that child actually comes. But they receive an answered prayer three decades later. Israel is a nation, and they cry out to God when they're in slavery, and God allows them to stay there for a couple centuries. But He does promise to come, and then He does redeem them. He brings them out. I'm going to take you to the promised land that I promised Abraham. You're the patriarch of your faith. And yet, He makes them wander around in the desert for 40 years, because it's His timing and not you got a guy named Joseph at the end of the book of Genesis in the Old Testament. He is a snot-nosed brat, loves to rub things in his brother's faces, and his brothers end up selling him into slavery. And when he's in slavery, his life begins to change, and I'm sure he starts praying, God, get me out of slavery. God says, done. And he gets thrown in jail on false charges. The, his 20s, he spends his 20s in jail. If you were in your 20s, gosh, live the life, okay? Because you start getting out of your 20s, your hair stops growing off the top of your head, it starts growing out in your nose and your ears and your eyebrows. You're like, I don't know what to do. 20s are the best years. He spends them in prison. And he's in prison. He's like, God, get me out of prison. And one of Pharaoh's other officials shows up in the prison. Joseph helps them. This guy gets out of prison. And Joseph is like, don't forget me. And the guy's like, you got it, buddy. 
two years later, he remembers him. <laughs> and God brings him out. But all that Joseph went through in all of those places, God does answer his prayer. But God is changing Joseph in the midst of it. King David, he prays to God, God, I want to build your temple. And God makes David wait. And David doesn't get to build the temple. His son Solomon does. David gets to start bringing the stuff together for the temple. But God does answer the prayer. In Genesis chapter 3, God promises the Messiah will come. He will come. And Israel, for millennia, they are praying, God, bring this Messiah. And God knows when Jesus is supposed to come, but they are waiting century after century after century. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because when God deemed it was time, he does his work. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years are as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Guys, sometimes it is just timing. One writer says this, It's important to know that what God is doing in you while you're awaiting may end up being more important than what it is you think you're waiting for. Let me say that one more time. What God is doing in you while you are waiting may end up being more important than what it is you think you're waiting for. See, our problem is we're always in such a hurry. And we want, we want patience. We're like, God, just zap patience into me so I don't have to wait and learn how to get it. But Isaiah 40, verse 31, They who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Number four, sometimes God says no, and we just don't know why. And we don't know why. And this is the hardest one. Granted, it may not be a no, it may be a wait, but we don't know that. And there are some people who pray for really good things, with really good hearts, and the prayer does not get answered, and we don't know why this side of eternity. Uh, there, are, there are people who have relatives or spouses or, or children who are far from Jesus and they just want them to know Jesus and it's just not happening. Some people have children who are sick and they just want them to get better or a, or a spouse and you just want them to get better. One guy I read uh, had a sick child and this is what he said. Every day I ask God, God, would you make me sick instead of my little girl? Let me suffer. I'm so mad at God. I'm trying to hang on, but I'm so mad. Why is heaven silent on the one prayer I most want answered? And I cannot point you to a complete explanation um, because I don't have all the answers because I'm not God. But I do know this, that God is good. And He has shown Himself to be good over and over and over. We are a people who bring brokenness and sin into this world, but God has always been good. And what I can do is I can only point you to a person who is Jesus, who also prayed this in Luke 22, verse 42. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I don't think here Jesus is trying to get out of going to the cross. It's about the suffering that is about to come upon him. One person said this, This is the most desperate prayer ever prayed from the most discerning spirit that ever lived, from the purest heart that ever beat, for deliverance from the most unjust suffering ever known. I don't know if I agree with everything in that because I think that it was more about the suffering than going to the cross. But from Christ's sacrificial death comes the hope that remade the world. It comes the hope that rescues us. The ultimate answer to every human anguish, including the anguish of unanswered prayer, is a sin-stained, blood-soaked cross where God himself suffers on our behalf in our place. That's what we need to understand. Nobody has all the answers but God himself. And our perspective tends to be so limited. But think about this again, where I started. What if God answered everyone's prayers? Yes. 
it would be a total disaster. We even make a comedy about it, right? Where Jim Carrey gets to be God and answers everybody, yes, it's a total disaster. Take Israel, people of God, right? They had a dream. We want to be a great nation. God promised them, I will make you into a nation. But the reason for that was so that you will be a blessing. As I told you a few weeks ago, God never blesses us except to make us a blessing to somebody else. The blessings we have, we bless other people with. And so Israel forgot the why. And so God comes and he disciplines them and they lose their country. They're going into exile. It's painful. And they cry out, God, don't make us go into exile. And what if God said, okay, and Israel then becomes this great world power with lots of money and lots of armies and never having to do that. And <clears throat> she keeps to herself all of the promises of who God is. That faith just stays with her. So what if there were no prophets who dreamed of another kingdom, a better kingdom, a kingdom where the whole human race can be invited into it? In human terms, God takes all that they thought that they wanted and gives them what they actually needed. And that's what God does with us. We have all these things we think we want, and God will give us exactly what we need to grow. Take the Apostle Paul. God, would you take this thorn away from me, please? And what if God had said yes, and Paul had been healed of his thorn, and he became even you know, more impressive than he was, and traveled even more, and boasted in his great strength, and his great giftedness, and turned that movement of that early church into a monument to human greatness? Because that's what people typically do. And so God leaves that thorn in his flesh. Jesus speaks of that cup passing from him, of the great anguish that was coming. What if Jesus didn't take that cup for us? You know, what if? What if there had been no cross and no death and no tomb and no resurrection, no forgiveness of sins, no outpouring of the Holy Spirit, no birth of the church? Well, we'd be lost. We'd be lost. But the good news is that on the cross, the Father not taking the cup away turns a yes for all of us to this promised relationship for every human being who ever lived. And that is what we needed. And when we come to a place where we talk about prayer and unanswered prayer, if we ever hope to grow in relationship with God that is deep and intimate in our prayer lives, we have to come to a place where we trust Him. If we want to have a full encounter with Him, we have to come to the place where we trust Him. Guys, again, I don't know if you have some prayer in your life that you have going on right now that God is just not answering that. And you are sitting there and you're saying, God, why? Why won't you answer this thing? It's a good prayer. I'm asking it not for me, but for somebody else. It could be, wait. But we must, in the end, always know that God is good. He is good. And so in the midst of those unanswered prayers, we should start praying also, God, what do you want to teach me in this? Because our prayer life with God is not just about trying to get things. It is about how we develop and begin to walk in deep relationship with God Himself. And this is why every wicked element, we come to the place where we bring you to communion. Communion is the reminder of Christ's body that was broken for us, which is why you break the cracker and you dip it in the wine or the grape juice as a reminder of what Christ did for us. He shed His blood for us. The ultimate cry of the human heart is a relationship with God. You know, as I talked a couple weeks ago, Carl Barth says we all have that incurable God sickness. It is inside of every single one of us. And the cries of our hearts is a restored relationship with God because that's what we need. And that's what God brought at the cross and the resurrection of Christ. That is the gospel, what Jesus did. And the results of the gospel become our restored and renewed lives again that we get to have a relationship with God. We get to talk with Him. We get to grow in relationship with Him. And we trust Him enough for when He does give us a no, we trust Him in the midst of that no. Because I know, I, I always want to pray for the yeses. God, give me a yes, and this thing over here would just be so awesome. 
But in the midst of the no's, I think we grow even more because it teaches us to trust him more and more. And this is what we think about when we come to communion. We lay aside all of the things that are hindering us from our relationship with him and remember first and foremost what he did to save us, what we actually needed because we were dead. We get new life in him. Guys, if you need prayer this morning, talk to Sarah at the Welcome Center. And right across the way, uh, inside the lounge, there'll be some people that are willing to pray with you. Maybe you, in your life right now, have something you want us to pray with you over. That it is so deep and it's just deep anguish that sits inside of you. Just don't keep that just to yourself. Talk to other people about it. Let others start praying about it. Because God does move. God does do great things. We just need to trust Him in His timing and His way. And again, maybe you're asking for something. You need to find out maybe if God's saying, I want you to do something about that. And so you step out and you begin to do something. We would love to pray with you about all of those things. There's offering boxes next to all the doors we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. We never pass a plate at Element because our giving is always a response to God's great generosity first given to us, that God has first revealed himself, and then we respond. We respond in prayer. We respond in song. We respond in how we live our lives and worship in every moment because God is good. So I encourage you to to take one of those prayer guides and take the questions from this week and sit down with someone in your family or maybe some friends or if you're in a gospel community or a quick connect group and kind of walk through some of those. And as you walk through those questions, come back to the place where you see who God is in his sovereign goodness and grace. That God brings exactly what we as a people need. And what we needed was salvation and life and hope in him. And it's great because God loves us. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us to be a people who trust you. God, so often we come to these places and we have these these prayers or things we're asking for and they are so important to us and they may even be important to you. And I ask that in the midst of those times when our prayers just sound like they're hitting a wall, that your spirit would also bring a sense of conviction that you are there in the midst of it. In the places where we feel lost or lonely or alone, that you would remind us of your presence that is always with us. I ask that you would teach us to be a people who learn to talk to you in communication, but also not be afraid to ask. Because we are finite. We are human. So teach us to go to you with our requests, but to think of prayer as more than just requests. To think of our prayers in ways of communicating with the the God who has first revealed himself to us as a people who need to know you. And so we get to see through your words, through your spirit as you speak to us, the great grace that we have received in getting to know you. And today, for those in this room who may have unanswered prayer, I ask that you will bring a sense of your presence even in the midst of that unanswered prayer. And that there be a growth that begins to take place because of how you lead and guide us in all things, because you are the one who is worthy of all glory. And we want our lives to reflect worship 
of you. And we ask this in your son's good name. Amen. Uh, As Mark drops the curtains, what I want to do is just have you take a couple moments. And I want you to be honest enough, maybe about an unanswered prayer in your life. And if you don't have one of those right now, think about a time that God did an amazing work and actually answered a prayer in your life. And thank Him for that. If there is an unanswered prayer in your life right now, I want you to be honest with God about that. The, the way that, that you feel around that thing. And then maybe ask God who you can go and talk to about it. Because God intends for us to be a people who live and walk in community with one another. And it could be sometimes that an unanswered prayer that we have is because we're just holding it deep inside. And God wants us to share that with other people. So people can come around and pray with us and we can seek God together. Ask God to speak to you this morning, to communicate by His Spirit leading you to places of honesty and growth and trust of Him. And then come and take communion, sing a couple songs with us, and then head out into this world with the greater hope of what God is doing. Because God is always good. And he brings things about in ways that he knows will bring the most growth to his growth through his people and the most glory to himself. Because he is sovereign and good.